Time for an awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people can turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all that getting get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the home page and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Catch the live stream there also. You can go to abb2me.com forward slash time for an awakening. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I forward slash time for an awakening. Catch the live stream there. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. And then that TuneIn search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you have the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail. Dot com Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. And that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program. With the fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awakening media is there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with ABB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here in the city of Philadelphia on this steamy Sunday evening, and we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, activist, organizer, and founder of the Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, Brother Nick Bazell, is with us this evening. 
Uh, if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we had attorney Malik Zulu-Shabazz on that was talking about the Black Power Conference in Tulsa, we're going to get a recap and assessment of the Black Power Conference uh, with one of the organizers that was there, uh, Brother Vazell of the Elmer. He's the founder of the Elmer Toronto Pratt Gun Club, and we'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowner's insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. 
It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back. The time for an awakening again is 7.13 here in the city of Philadelphia on this uh, Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to bring in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 710 Arch Street, Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. You know, I'm, I'm in my uh, I'm in my element right now. You, know, you said steamy. Uh, it's, just, it's just nice and warm. <laughs> yeah. Nice yeah. Yeah, was it was uh, 90, 94, I think, or 90 something. Is that kind of weather? I guess, uh, I guess, uh, 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 I guess you know this kind of weather, this kind of temperature for Texas is not like something that's abnormal. So uh, we got something in common there. You know, before we get started with our program this evening, it uh, I just want to thank uh, Sister Brooks uh, that works closely with uh, Attorney Shabazz. She set up. Uh, uh, Brother Nick coming on with us to kind of give us a, a recap and, and uh, update on, on some of the things that happened in Tulsa uh, this past weekend, uh, last weekend, in fact. Um, but before we uh, introduce our guest, uh, Brother Brazell, uh had an address uh, to Tulsa residents, and I guess the media was present because they uh, uh, made a published report about it in the Tulsa paper. And I want to play the voice of our guest this evening uh, in front of the uh, Vernon AME Church, Historic Church in Tulsa, and what he said uh, uh, to the folks that was listening before we bring him on. Let me uh, uh, get this brought up here. To all black people, from a- this event is open to all black people from across the nation. You will see a mass of black leaders that you haven't seen since the 60s come together. You will see black people come together in a way that you haven't seen since the 1960s. It's long overdue that our people come together and unify to push the black agenda forward. When you talk about reparations on the national level, you can't have a conversation of reparations without mentioning Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can't have a conversation about black self-defense without mentioning Tulsa, Oklahoma. So why are we coming to Tulsa? Tulsa is the epicenter of everything that we're trying to do. Everything that we're fighting for for black people, Tulsa should be the plan. Tulsa should be the place, and we should all come together as people 
Discuss these ideas. Discuss these options. Help Tulsa get what they deserve. You look around. This was a thriving black community at one point. This place is gentrified now. Black people have been pushed out of what was historically theirs. This is sacred land to black people. And we're coming to let it know that we want this land back for our people. It's not a coincidence that Greenwood was 40 acres. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. We want our black people here in Tulsa to reclaim what belongs to them. That's right. And so when we come to town, we're telling all black Tulsans, meet with us. What do you want from us? What do you need from us? And we're going to give them everything they need to be successful in their fight for equity, and equity equals equality. And that's what we're coming here to do. There may be some people who say, oh, but these black guys are coming with guns. Get out of that mentality. Stop thinking every time you see a black person with a gun, something bad is going to happen. I can promise you from May of last year to today, you've never seen an armed demonstration in America, whether it was Texas, whether it was Louisiana, Georgia, Florida, or Kentucky. There was never been an act of violence when you've seen black armed demonstrations in America. So what makes you think something's going to happen on our sacred land? It won't. But what you need to ask yourself is, why do you have people storming the U.S. Capitol causing havoc? That wasn't us. Take a look at those people and stop worrying about what we're doing. We're law-abiding citizens, and we care about our people. So you will see an armed maneuver here on the 29th in historic Greenwood District, Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. And I'm letting you all know today that we will be here regardless of what the city of Tulsa says. Just so you know, we have the right to open carry, and we will do it. We have the right to walk on the sidewalks. We don't need a permit for that. So if they don't want to grant that permit, we'll take them to court. And if they want to fight us in court, and if they so happen to win, we'll still be here, and we'll exercise our right on the right-of-ways, on the sidewalks. And I'm telling you now, there's no reason to be scared when you see armed black people. We need more self-defense. How many times do you turn on the news and you see black people lynched, being hung from trees today? The picture of this, this man down on the corner, Mercy, a hundred years ago in Tulsa with his hands up, talking about don't shoot. We're a hundred years later and people are still talking about hands up, don't shoot. How far have we come in a hundred years? How far have we come? I don't know, but we're getting ready to take it a lot further than where we are today. When we leave Tulsa, Everybody's going back to their respective places, and we're going to leave here with a plan, and we're going to be unified. And I'm telling you, the people who don't want to get on board, we don't need them. They can get left behind. But what you're going to see, the weekend of Centennial, is a unified front of black people that you've never seen before. The voice you heard is the voice of our guest, activist, organizer, and founder of the Elmer Geronimo Pratt gun club brother nick bazell is with us brother nick how are you hey how you doing thanks for having me on oh great to have you with us one time for an awakening with myself and brother richard how you doing brother hey how you doing today brother nick um before we talk about uh what happened in uh in tulsa uh surrounding the black power conference i know it was a lot of of organizers there from across the country uh Mm -hmm along with the uh, uh, self-defense groups that was there. Uh, d- before you talk about it and talk about things that happened in Tulsa, let's talk about uh, you and the and the uh, Geronimo Pratt Club. Uh, because, you know, it's always interesting to me 
when I talk to uh, people that have decided to put themselves out there and become active. It's a lot of our people that realize the problems that we face. And some of our people uh, 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 are just maybe uh, satisfied sitting on the sidelines and commenting and about it and not doing anything. Uh, but you decided to get in motion, to get in movement, uh, to be active, and to organize. Uh, you put together the Geronimo uh, the Platt Gun Club, and you got other men and women to become active. Talk about the genesis behind that and what caused you to start in motion. Well, I think um, for me, um, and, and and I think one of those interviews out there, somebody asked me, you know, kind of about my background, and I, I do have a military background. Um, so I have been uh, deployed several places. Uh, and so I've, obviously I dealt with firearms being a, a combat veteran. Um, you know, people that I knew uh, around the area where I lived would start asking me questions about firearms, black people, and say, um, how can, you know, what do you think about this gun? Or what do you think about that gun? Or, you know, do you have this gun? I want to try it, you know, see if I like it. So it kind of, so the gun club itself kind of started out that way. I had always been involved in some form of fashion uh, with black empowerment, but this is kind of how the gun club evolved. And what ended up happening, it transitioned from people wanting to, you know, just kind of casually learn about firearms. Um, and then it evolved to, hey, I think you should start a gun club um, because more and more black people are getting into firearms. Um, and so that's kind of the next step of the evolution of the gun club. And so people were, you know, were like, well, are you going to make it official? Um, and so I, I always knew about Geronimo Pratt. I always thought he was a great man. I always felt, you know, people who know his story knew he was um, treated unfairly and unjustly. And like myself, Geronimo was a, uh, you know, General Geronimo was a veteran as well. Uh, so we kind of had that tie there as well. So it kind of evolved from there. And then when I officially started standing up the unit, and this was at the end of 2019, as I started working toward uh, developing the gun club and then into 2020, we go. Um, I looked at different avenues of um, some people in the 2A community might be uh, aware or familiar with a group called NAGNA, the National African American Gun Association. I, I you know, I considered mm -hmm. going under that uh, under that umbrella, um, but I just decided that that wouldn't be for me um, and for what I wanted to do with my organization. So we, you know, we decided not to go that route. Um, and then the Breonna Taylor situation, you know, my Aubrey Breonna Taylor, and then the George Floyd situation happened. And so that was the next step of evolution for for our gun club is um, as as these black men and women started getting more and more involved with firearms. And then last year in 2020, the pandemic happened and you start seeing this huge um, increase in black firearm purchases. And so there became a greater need, not just for firearms, but for black people. Um, overall, who may have been passive in the past that wanted to go out and do something. And so this was the next the next step in the evolution of, of, of our gun club. 
Um, and then a lot of things started coming out here locally in Central Texas. Um, and then we started getting involved in a lot of things here. We had a sister out here whose uh, brother was murdered by the police out here. And when she went to go give uh, speeches, we would go out and beat our personal security because she was, she was getting threats. Um, so we made sure that we protected that sister. We started seeing a lot of the injustice going on to people out here. Um, so we would get involved, whether it be, um, you know, trying to get laws passed, which we have. We've got no-knock warrants banned in the cities out here in Central Texas. We're working to get them banned on the state level. Um, but then there's just been an evolution. So we we have actively been trying to work um, to get laws passed. We've been working to get awareness brought to cases that we felt had been dealt, uh, you know, unfairly. We've been working to a, either protect people or teach people how to protect themselves. Uh, and we've been out here doing other things. People think it's just about guns, but, you know, just like today, every Sunday we go out and feed the homeless um, in our community. So there are a lot of different nuances to what we do. But there has been a gradual evolution um, of our gun club over the course of the last year and a half or two years. Uh, Brother Nick, I, I won't necessarily ask you about the numbers of the people. I, I, I know that it, I know that it have it has expanded. Uh, but just give me a ratio of of uh, sisters, brothers, and maybe even young people. Uh, uh, is it is it kind of spans the uh, family gamut, so to speak, or is, it's mostly men? It's mostly women. Yeah. T- you tell me. No, yeah, it, it definitely, um, and and not just my unit. I think all units are like this. Um, but you definitely see a dynamic of older, younger, and everything in between. I mean, I have members um, in their early 20s. I have members in their 50s um, and in everything in between. So you definitely see a wide variety um, of people, but you mostly see people um, 20s, 30s, and, you know, 20s, 30s, and 40s. Is mostly what you'll see early 40s, um, mostly 30s, and in, into their 20s is what you'll see. Um, and not just mine, but in most units. Yeah, brother Nick. Um, before we uh, go up to Tulsa and you talk about what happened at the conference, uh, I'm going to stay in your state because uh, the uh, Ronald Pack Gun Club is based in Texas. Um, t- t- talk about it from your perspective down there, because our people are oppressed and been oppressed since we've been here. But it's certain states in this so-called union that have been worse uh, uh, where black folks have lived, that their oppression has been worse than other places. Texas is the largest state in this union. Uh, And what's going on in Texas presently and what has historically gone on in Texas uh, hasn't been good for our people. Um. It's a lot of urban areas, large cities in Texas, Dallas, uh, Fort Worth, uh, uh, Houston. But it's a lot of rural areas because the state is large. Uh, uh, talk about the folks and how they organized uh, or trying to organize themselves in Texas, uh, maybe to police their communities, to help protect themselves. Uh, is it these type of conversations going on among our people down there? Are they in contact with you about helping them come and organize their communities? Yeah, all of, all of the above, actually. Um, with the exception of San Antonio, and we're getting ready to start working on San Antonio, 
But when you go to Dallas and when you go to Fort Worth and when you go to Houston and obviously when you come to Austin, all these areas have self-defense units in them and they're growing. They're constantly recruiting and they're constantly growing. Um, I want to give a special uh, salute and shout out to Bob Wale, who is the co-founder of the Huey P. Newton Gun Club and, and who most people are familiar with with their organization. I call uh, General Bob, I call him the, you know, the godfather of this modern uh, Black 2A movement. Uh, and so his, his leadership and presence um, amongst the Black 2A community, especially when you're talking about uh, revolutionary 2A Black community, he's definitely the godfather of this movement. So I definitely want to give him a special shout out. But here in Texas, when you start going down the list of the organizations here, we all work together. Um, you know, the, the, the primary uh, Black self-defense units that fall into that category were all in Tulsa last weekend. Um, we've all worked together in some form and fashion, whether um, we have, you know, open carry maneuvers, um, we all get together if our units are available and we come together and support one another. So we do here in Texas, we do organize, we do get together, we go out and patrol uh, neighborhoods. I mean, we went and patrolled Dallas back in November um, with all the organizations here. Uh, the majority of the organizations we patrolled in Colleen, Texas in, in January. So we do all get together. We we uh, bump, you know run ideas by each other. Uh, we talk to each other. We train together, and so it's it's one large family here in Texas, and and we all support one another with what each other is doing. You know, it, um, I'm I'm glad to see that the the men are organized in that fashion down there, and 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 the organization seems to be growing uh, daily, as you as uh, as from what you're telling me, uh, but. I'm fully convinced that um, in some of these urban areas where you have a certain segment and a small segment of our people that are out of control, that it's going to take men and women such as yourself uh, that have in mind to take control of our communities because that's the only way we're going to get a handle on this, uh, this, uh, this violence in some of these communities. Uh, depending on Europeans yeah. and these police forces to do it, it's not going to happen. And they're going to go in there with a the mentality right. of shoot first, shoot second, and ask questions third. So go ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut you. Go ahead. You want to comment? No, I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off either. But, but, but what you're saying is, is factually correct. And, and one of the brothers um, out of Fort Worth is actually putting together, um, you know, working to put a, put a program together now. Um, and I don't, I don't want to put all the information out until we get ready to execute the, until we get ready to execute the mission. Mm -hmm. But there are um, gang situations going on right now in Fort Worth that the brother wants to get a handle on. So we're actually trying to coordinate something now to go into Fort Worth um, to deal with the gang situation there. So you're absolutely correct. You know, we can't preach um, controlling and police in our own people in our own communities if we're not going to actually do it. And we understand. By doing something like that, the risk that's involved, you know, all the endless possibilities, but this is what we train to do. Um, I tell people all the time, or people make comments when we show up somewhere, obviously the naysayers, oh, why are they coming here with these guns? And you know, the first place that always comes up is Chicago. The second place that always comes up is Baltimore. We wouldn't mind going to Chicago and Baltimore. However, comma, the laws in those places don't allow us to exercise um, the same tactics in those places mm -hmm. as we can in places like Texas or Oklahoma or Louisiana. 
Kentucky, so on and so forth. Okay. How about black people vote in those areas to change or repeal those, you know, those unconstitutional gun laws, and then and then ask us to come in and help them. You know, we can only do so much when you have when we can't basically walk around there with long guns um, and patrol those neighborhoods. But in places where we can open carry long guns or have guns, period, you see a lot of different formations all throughout the country that are policing their communities. And you know what? I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that. But um, for me, and I want to bring Brother Richard in on this, I, I don't think it's necessarily about and especially in a lot of these urban areas, I live in Philadelphia and, and violence is off the hook here, but I don't think it's necessarily about the gun per se, but sure. That's, that's a, that's a tool to be used in the toolbox, but I think it's more of a presence of our people in these communities and they'll, they'll get the respect of some of these uh, young people and older people that are off the hook. I, I, and I think it's in your case, I think it's more of the presence of seeing the men and women dressed uniformly, moving in uh, in synchronization, uh, uh, doing the maneuvers, as you say, Uh, that'll start getting the respect of some of these people that are doing these things in the community. Because when you look at a lot of these urban areas, and and I've been in the city all my life, uh, the the stuff they show in the television, you would think the whole area, black areas, is totally out of control. But generally, if you've got 60 homes in an urban block, you might have one house in a block that is off the hook and the other people sit back and kind of let these things happen. You know, we need more of our people involved. That's why I have a lot of respect for you and other people that decide that they're going to, they, that they're going to do something about this. Uh, brother Richard. Yeah. Um, you know, as I were going down that road, I was, I was, I was wondering, um, you know, and, and, and brother, um, easily. So, um, the thing that got me, I want to just, you know, pick up on it because I think that there's something that you mentioned that uh, those men and women in our community should be um, organizing our own gun clubs. And as you um, expressed, um, you know, working with other members around the country so that this here, so it wouldn't be about people having to come into an area to be able to deal with it. You know, I, 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 how, do you, how do you feel, think about that? Well, I, I, you know, our biggest thing, and I know we'll get on it eventually in Tulsa, but, you know, our our whole purpose, well, I'm not going to say our whole purpose, but one of the reasons why we went to Tulsa was to encourage and galvanize the people there, to, you know, because they, they have a lot of things, not just 100 years ago, but even present day, they have a lot of things that happened there, or when we went to Colleen or other places. We try to galvanize the people, and then what we want to do is encourage them to stand up their own self-defense units in their town, right? Because we can't be everywhere all the time. We can't always just pack up and go to a city. But what we do encourage people is show them what right looks like and then help those people um, to develop their own units. I've gotten a lot of... uh, inquiries and applications to my organization since we left Tulsa from the people of Tulsa. So we're getting ready to stand up um, a unit, a Geronimo unit in Tulsa here in the next couple of weeks. But that's, but that was one of the goals that we wanted to accomplish um, was to, you know, whether it's a Geronimo unit, a Huey P unit, an Anubis, 
Black Shield, Black Justice Brotherhood, whoever, we just wanted a unit to stand up in Tulsa. So when things happen, they have a force on the ground to respond um, to any atrocity or abuse that may take place. So that is one of the reasons why we went there. That's one of the reasons why we go to different places is to encourage Black people to take a stand, to learn about self-defense and to be able to protect one another and patrol their communities. And the, uh, the thing that struck me, you had mentioned about um, the, I take it that the petition so that you can be able to um, display and the different gun clubs can be able to display and march in Tulsa um, um, was slow in coming if it came at all. Can you expand on that? And what, um, and along with that, as far as the coordination amongst the different gun clubs um, to be able to, you know, deal with those contingencies in, in the, uh, the piece that um, Elliot played, it was, you know, the, the, if you couldn't march in the street to march on the sidewalk. So I assume that all, right. there had to be some communication and coordination in relationship right. to the city's response. And can you develop right. that uh, for us, what happened and how that took place? So, yeah, um, it definitely was a, it was a national effort. Um, and I, I actually just talked about this earlier, but and there was a lot of work that went on behind the scenes to make sure that um, this maneuver uh, went off flawlessly. So there was a lot of moving pieces going on. And I had to keep reassuring people that, you know, we had to be flexible because it was constantly evolving. It was constantly changing. So based on Oklahoma state laws, Oklahoma is a constitutional carry state. So what constitutional carry means, Second Amendment, it means that regardless of the document, paperwork, or car, you are within your right to carry a firearm, whether it's a handgun or a long gun. You're within your rights to do so. Um, and then with the First Amendment, um, if you decide to do any type of demonstration, protest, march, you're also well within your right um, to use the, the sidewalks, your right-of-ways. So we knew going into it, that we were going to go regardless. Based on the laws, there was nothing that was going to prevent us from going there. But what, where the permit came into play was that we were trying to uh, invite all people to participate in this maneuver. So we were looking to get people, you know, all the people locally on the ground to participate. We wanted children to be with us. This was an all-inclusive formation. This wasn't um, so much of a tactical formation where we were going out looking for somebody or patrolling community looking for, you know, somebody, you know, dangerous or did something. It was none of that. This was for a, a display of strength, solidarity, and unity among Black people nationally, in particular the people there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So that's where the permit came into play because I know there was a lot of back and forth about, well, why are these guys getting the permit? It was to, uh, it was for us to be able to safely bring out the children um, and the elders for them to be able to participate in it as well. So that's where the permit came into play. Now, uh, for people who've seen the videos from Tulsa, there was actually two parts to the, to the maneuver we executed. The first one was unpermitted, and that's the constitutional part. We took the sidewalks down to Archer and Greenwood, where the people see the street sign that says Archer and Greenwood, Black Wall Street, we actually um, took the formation down there and we, we were within our rights to do so. So that's the part that we didn't use a permit for. We went down there to show them 
that regardless, we were going to do this anyway. And so that was the point that we proved going down there. And then we went back to our staging area. Tulsa came out, blocked the streets off, and then the kids came out, the elders came out, the citizens came out, and we walked through uh, those historic Greenwood neighborhood. And everything went off, went off uh, flawlessly without a hitch. Um, there were, you know, no incidences. There were no acts of violence. I, I mentioned that as well. That, um, you know, people people think uh, black people with guns shouldn't shouldn't be, or it's taboo, or something bad is going to happen. And I mentioned it when I was in Tulsa, you know, a few weeks back, that when we started these, uh, you know, over the course of the last year since George Floyd, you've had these large, you know, hundreds. Um, of black people having these formations and these maneuvers, you've never seen any acts of violence take place. And, and again, this is another one uh, that happened, you know, and no no violence happened from our end, um, no outside agitators, any of that. And so this is just another way of us saying uh, that black people with firearms doesn't mean something bad is going to happen. We have firearms just like everybody else to protect ourselves. You know, I was just um, also just interested in the um, city's response. As you said, it was a national coordination in relationship to the petition. But sometimes we see, you know, in um, different areas that the uh, city is not just the communication outlets asking these questions, mm -hmm. you know, uh, which are, why are you want to come with arms, but the city's fear um, itself, um, based off of, you know, that experience, was there any um, um, in relationship to offering um, off the petition um, to, to, to March. Was there any uh, hesitancy in the city council of Tulsa about offering yeah. that um, uh, petition to be able to march? Right. So I, I think, uh, so that, that was the whole purpose behind that, that press conference that you saw. Uh, we had submitted that permit three months out, three months prior to the event. When you saw the press conference, that was two weeks prior to the event. So you're talking about, uh, you know, roughly nine to ten weeks that the city was in uh, possession of our application for the permit, and it was they just kept dragging their feet on it, <laughs> and you know enough was enough, and so I went to Tulsa and, and held that press conference, basically letting everyone know that a we did submit this you know permit. 10 weeks prior and be if you sign it or not um we were still coming and so it would be in everyone's best interest to sign the permit um there there was some pushback uh, from the city council but they did vote unanimous, unanimously um to grant the permit now after the fact um i was just made aware a couple of days ago that a, a white city council woman uh decided to make some disparaging remarks about us um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if she knows the difference or if she's just talking or just, you know, lumping all black people together. Um, but she just decided to make some outlandish statements, um, online on Facebook about the formation itself. But she also made sure that she didn't vote against the permit because we let them know that if they decided not to grant the permit, that we were going to take them to court federally. Um, and so I, I really think that they felt a lot of pressure based on it being the centennial and what it represented for, for black people. 
um, and they knew we were coming regardless. So to me, it was probably just a move for them to uh, not look bad in the eyes of the world since there was so much media attention there. And let me say, let me say one other thing. Um, there is a Oklahoma state statute that says you can't open carry on uh, a fairground or things of that nature. They actually, where the Legacy Fest took place, they actually, now the Legacy Fest was put on by other black people and they invited us to come down there for the formation. But at the last minute, they decided to consider the Legacy Fest a fairground. So they put put signs out um, to try to prevent us from coming down there. So any of those images or videos that you see where there was, you know, a standoff um, and General Babu was, was questioning uh, the validity of those signs. Uh, that's what that was. So they actually found a state statute to try to derail us from coming down there. So that's what you, if you've seen those videos or those images, that's what that was about. And continue to explore what happened, um, you know, during the National Con Convention, um, uh, you, you know, and talking about, continuing to talk about, you mentioned earlier about the, not just the, um, have a gun club being about learning how to fire, how to be in formations, but what you demonstrated in relationship to interaction with government. Now I understand in Kellen, Texas, that what you mentioned earlier, with this no-knock warrant policy that you y'all were um, um, involved in that. Um, now, if I understand, it was a is this a Marvin a Marvin Lewis Gay that was the impetus? Guy, 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 Marvin Guy. Guy, excuse me. Uh, and, uh -huh. and could you expand on what that you know that inter as a gun club getting involved with the um, political machinery? Um, yeah. how how that can be effective and and, right. and, and being able to um, to show that it isn't about just um, wanting to be a, a symbol of guns, but it's about um, having, um, taking political and, and actual security control over the lives within our community. Right. So I, I take great pride as, as well as my organization. We take great pride um, in being politically savvy um, and learning how to weaponize our power outside of the gun, right? I believe in the philosophy, the pen and the pistol. The pistol is there to protect the pen. The pen is there um, to get things done. And if you impede on the pen, which is my First Amendment, then I will use the Second Amendment, which is the pistol, to get my point across if you so impede on my First Amendment. Those are my beliefs. That's my philosophy. And so as a people, we have to become uh, more politically aware, more politically savvy as we execute these missions. Now, what happened with, with Mark and Guy, um, this was a, one of those things we talk about, we wanna bring awareness uh, to a situation. This brother in May of 2014, there was a no-knock raid executed at his residence. There was an informant who said that he was selling drugs, I believe in particularly cocaine. They take the word of an informant. They execute this raid in, in May of 2014. They shoot, they try to enter through both sides of his home, through a window and through his front door. Shooting begins, there's an officer that struck and killed. 
as they do the inventory of the vehicles in the home, there are no drugs found. Marvin Guy is booked on capital murder charges because of the death of this police officer um, during this raid. Grand jury um, not in, not indicted him once, but they indicted him twice on capital murder. Um, but let me give you a backstory. About six months prior, um, there was a white man, same situation. The only there are two differences. One, they found drugs in this white man's home, but in Marvin Guy's home, they didn't. The second part is the grand jury didn't indict this white man, but they did indict this black man. So you have to start asking yourself the question, why is that? Skin color and, and money, right? You're talking about white privilege and money. Um, and this guy was a drug dealer. He was a, he was a known drug dealer. He had drugs in his house. And he he gets off from the capital murder charges, but this brother, they stick to him. So fast forward, as all these events happen in 2020, as we're getting more involved with our organization, this Marvin Guy case pops up on my radar. So as I'm looking at it and I'm seeing what's going on, I start digging and I realize it had been six years since that situation had happened. And this brother had been sitting in a detention facility with no trial. So that's unconstitutional in itself. So we reached out to, to Brother Marvin Guy, and we also reached out to his brother. Um, we got in contact with him. We told him we wanted to start working with him. So we tried our hardest to start bringing awareness. We started doing press conferences. We started doing interviews. And then, like I said, in January, this happened in Colleen. In January, we had an armed uh, maneuver, but we went and started patrolling um, the black communities there in Colleen to continue to bring awareness. So then we started applying uh, pressure to the city council. We started talking about no-knock uh, warrants. Texas um, is a stand-your-ground state castle doctor, meaning that if someone comes into your home unannounced, you have the right to defend yourself. So no-knock raids and the self-defense laws for your home in Texas are in contradiction with one another. And that was the, that's what we presented to the city council because in 2019, they executed a no-knock raid where a man defended himself as well and they killed him. So these no-knock raids and these self-defense laws, these home self-defense laws, like I said, they're in complete contradiction. That's what we presented to the city council and the city council uh, almost unanimous. They had one person vote against it, but they put in place that the Colleen Police Department will no, no, will no longer issue or execute or participate in no-knock raids, period. There's no gray area. There's no if this happens. We completely got it banned um, in the city of Colleen. So, you know, that was one of the things that we have done as an organization, um, you know, on, on the other side. Not necessarily dealing with the gun or self-defense, but actually getting into the legal side because we know black people are targeted at a higher rate when it comes to these no-knock raids than white people. So anything that we can do, one small drop is always something. If we can save a black life by doing that, then that's something positive that we've done. Yeah, Brother Brazil, um, going back to the uh, the Black Power Conference, um, 
without necessarily getting into specifics unless you want to. Talk about some of the successes there, uh, the groups that came from all over, not only the self-defense groups, just the activist period, uh, the breakout sessions, uh, some of the things that were agreed upon, uh, you know, with the people going back to their different localities around the country. Uh, talk about some of the successes of the uh, the three-day conference. Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest takeaways during the weekend was definitely reparations. Um, there were two, three reparations specialists that came in and spoke on things such as H.R. 40, uh, which is the study of reparations on the federal level. Um, and, you know, they, these, these brothers came in and they broke down, you know, what it's going to take, you know, for us to get reparations, how we can get it on the federal level, you know, and, and, why the debt is owed to us and, and kind of break down how uh, for people who don't know about reparations about how uh, other ethnic groups got reparations got special protections um, and how we still after you know 400 plus years have still yet to receive um, the proper compensation and protection that we deserve so people came in and spoke about that um, we had a brother named hawk newsom come in from new york city uh, his organization, Black Ops, formerly uh, Black Lives Matter Greater New York, but they've rebranded and broke off from that organization, and, and they're rebranding themselves now. Uh, he came in and talked about, uh, you know, police accountability and, and how we can, uh, you know, work on different things, laws and so forth, uh, that we can personally get involved with and apply pressure to uh, municipalities for police accountability. So that brother was very uh, powerful with, with with the information he presented, um, just a, just a host of different things. And as far as the organizations, uh, we talked about taking this information, going back to to our local areas, um, and starting to apply some of these things. You know, when we talk about, and I'll go back to specifically on the reparations portion, HR forty, um, all the uh, U.S. Congress people have not signed on for the study of HR forty. So we have to go back and pressure um, our representatives, if they have not signed on to HR 40, that we need to pressure them to do so. Um, this is a debt that's owed to our people, so we have to apply the pressure to them. Um, and it goes back to what I talked about, uh, weaponizing our vote, being politically savvy. We have to do these things to stop allowing people to um, take our vote for granted, which is what the Democrats normally do. Uh, and then on the self-defense side, um, there were some, a lot of conversations had about not making this a one-time thing, but making this an annual uh, conference, convention, uh, and maneuver formation annually for our people to come together and continue to watch it grow, watch the units grow, uh, watch other units pop up, and make sure that we support one another on a national level uh, and just having this, this alliance different organizations not like you said not just the self-defense units but all organizations just having this alliance that we can call upon one another you know we need lawyers we need doctors um we need activists we need politicians we need the self-defense people we need all of this this is the black nation you know it's upwards to 50 million of us and we have to start um showing our strength because there's strength in numbers so we have to make sure that we continue to grow this this movement that we're pushing for and making sure that at the end of the day, we all receive what's owed to us, and we can only do that through strength and solidarity. Uh, Brother Nick, um, t- Tulsa in general, because um, I know that the people welcome you there, and they, they really wanted some involvement 
uh, from brothers and sisters from the outside to kind of look at their situation, but to kind of recognize what happened there and to help them organize. We all need help organizing. I don't care whether you live in New York City or or, uh, or uh, the smallest town in in the, the state of Florida. Uh, we hel- we all need help organizing. But to talk about the the dynamic of uh, reaching our people. And, and when I say that, I'm just going to deal with the reality. Sometimes when you come into municipalities, depending on the the, uh, the size and the construction of leadership, um, you run into problems. Uh, and I'll give an example. Philadelphia is the fifth largest city in this country. And it's still predominantly black even though it's being rapidly gentrified and the leadership in this city is still predominantly black, but it doesn't reflect as far as the help to the people that need it. Uh, the poverty rate in the city is off the hook. Violence is off the hook and the black leadership seems to be at a loss to what to do about it. Uh, they wait for marching orders from whites generally and they cater to special interests and developers. Uh, when things come up that the grassroots want to do or that, that's, uh, that most of the grassroots people have an affinity for, some of the leadership looks in the other direction. Uh, coming into Tulsa, was it like that? Now, it, I, I saw a difference right away, and this is just me observing it, when you had the press conference in front of the Vernon AME Church. So I could see there, and fa- and I think uh, the first day of the conference was held at the church, if I'm not mistaken, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, so I see there that it, w- it was uh, it was some response uh, from some of the people that should be involved. And when I say should be, uh, we already know that some of our people on the ground want to be right. involved. But when you look at the quote-unquote leadership, be it elected officials or, or uh, the people of the cloth, they really need to be involved because they control the minds of, of the people to a certain extent. Uh, talking about the position, the, uh, the uh, participation of some of the fo- other folks in, uh, that was involved in Tulsa. You know, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, and I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dive into names um, on this particular topic. But what I will say is, you, you I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. Everywhere you go, you're gonna have. Um, I refer to them as plantational Negroes. They have this mentality where they still believe that life is better on the plantation. Um, and they put up this facade that, you know, that they're free when they're really not. And you experience that everywhere you go. And just like, uh, you know, Chicago, New York, Philly, Anywhere you go where there's a large urban area where there are a lot of black people, you're going to always have those few plantationals that are going to um, say, oh, maybe we should try this a different way when their way has been failing for 60 years. Um, and then so you didn't even have to start doing a lot of analysis on these individuals. Well, why are they why are they behaving this way? You know, um, I subscribe to a, a, a philosophy called the five C's. And what I mean by the five C's is coons, clowns, cowards, compromised or clout chasers. 
And you can be one of the five or you can be a combination of the five. But for you to behave in certain manners, um, you have to be one of those five. What One thing that I, I have kind of discovered that there were some backdoor deals being worked in Tulsa where money was involved. And again, I'm not going to get into names and all of that, but a lot of the black people who kind of uh, tried to act like they were with us and then kind of, you know, turn their back to us, there was some money involved there. And, and that's really what I'm going to say about that, because the majority of the people in Tulsa, the black people in particular, we were welcome, open arms. They loved us being there. They want us to come back. Um, salute to Pam Smith. Um, salute to, to Nikki Givens. Salute to Terry Backett. Salute to, you know, Gino. Salute to all the people there on the ground that supported us from day one and never changed who they were all the way through the mission because there were people who flip-flopped and there were people who changed. Um, and those people are uncompromised. And that's those are the type of people that I want to be associated with. When when I feel like you can be compromised or you can be bought off or you're a cloud chaser, you want to make it seem like this is what I did. Because when we came into town the first time, see, when people saw that press conference, that was the second time I was in Tulsa. Okay. I was in Tulsa with a group uh, when we did a recon prior to that. And a lot of these people, we started interacting with them. Um, so this was, so the, the actual conference was my third time in like seven weeks being in Tulsa. Um, and so I met a lot of good people there. And again, I met a lot of flip floppers while I was out there. But when you start following the trail, it all leads back to money. And so those are not people that I want to be associated with. And so yes, when we have those type of people, we have to learn. Um, you know, not just on the local level, but on the national level. When we have those type of people, we have to remove them out of power if we ever want to move our agenda forward. Because those people, they will tell us one thing, but show us something different. See, I, I can't go off what somebody's telling me. I have to go off what they're showing me. And, and these particular individuals who started flip-flopping and turning their backs at the last minute, I can only go off of what they show me. And what they show me is a plantational mentality. Um, but overall, the people in Tulsa were great. They were receptive. They showed us a lot of love, and we promised them we'll be back, and I'll be going back to Tulsa in a few weeks. Richard, uh, you know, it, <laughs> he and Brother Brazell talk about uh, the necessity of our people to get these people out from in leadership of our communities. It seems to be ringing true no matter who we talk to, Richard. Uh, the need for this to happen and to to occur, and the only people that can do it is us. You know, the, the, one of the reasons I mentioned that, uh, Brother Bazell, because <clears throat> I read in the report that now w- the one thing I objected to, and I want to see how you feel about it, is about the the ideal of the media putting out, and some black folks went along with that narration that it was some type of celebration that was supposed to be going on in Tulsa. Like, uh, I don't know what our people could have possibly been celebrating, uh, considering the incident that happened, but, uh, Stacey Abrams and a few others nationally known blacks. That's why it's important for us to keep a scorecard of these people 
that was supposed to come and speak in Tulsa, all of a sudden their plans changed. And uh, it was some report saying that the uh, Homeland Security was saying that their lives were threatened by some supremacist organizations. Now, they couldn't have been talking about nobody black. And I can't see how they was talking about anybody white doing anything in Tulsa. But I I just, you know, it's kind of strange when you see stuff like that. Because some of our people think that these people that they see in front of them that's been stamped as black leadership by the media or by other folks is in there uh, that's working in their behalf. And like you said, sometimes when you get close to them or get close to situations, you see that they're working for someone else. Right. I'm going to bring up that symbol, um, and, and, and I apologize, but, you know, Homeland Security contacts Stacey Abrams in order to tell her that there is going to be that her life with her and people like her life would be threatened because of something, right? When and y'all have to deal with me. See the thing of the imagery, right? Of these people being swayed by, as Brother Bazell uh, is saying, community in Tulsa is saying, and Greenwood is saying that they are acceptance of having this presence, uh, 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 this strong presence um, being reinforced by, um, um, you know, gun carrying and not seeing these two images come together, speaking about the atrocity, you know, taking it out of that historical, that, that celebration, speaking about the atrocity and the need then and now for leadership and um, militia leadership being in accord with each other, they say, no, don't come because that, you know, that just seems ironic to me. I I had to throw that in there. (laughs) Well, I'll, so I'll, I'll break it down. Um, First, I'll start with the celebration portion. That was one of the things that we talked about while we were on the ground. People were dancing and shaking their backsides and everything else. And we came there for empowerment, right? We came there, we said, we're going to buy black as much as possible while we were there. Um, And and I'll speak on that briefly as well. We get out there um, and they're black vendors, but then I go to buy a drink and I'm not paying any attention, right? This is black wall street. This is, you know, the centennial, this, that, and the other. I go and buy a drink, not, not knowing that I just bought a drink from somebody that wasn't black from, from their booth out there. I mean, because I wasn't, I gave my money to somebody, they purchased the drink, they brought it back. And as I'm drinking, I'm like, Oh, I said, that's cool. You know, we bought this drink. It, it somehow we mentioned like, and then I, I thought about it and I said, is that black owned? And everybody starts shaking their head. Like, no, I said, well, what are we, what's going on here? You know, um, that's what this was supposed to be, but they made it this, this all inclusive, mm all great celebration like what like you said what are we celebrating and that's what we were trying to get like we're trying to show people people who may not know what right looks like and we're trying to show it to them every business out there should have been black owned no ifs ands or buts all those vendors should have been black vendors there shouldn't have been anything else out there but here we are Saying we want to spend black, I'm handing money out, getting drinks, thinking I'm buying black, and then here here it comes, 
that the drink that I just bought didn't come from a black business. And you got these people out here, like I said, dancing in the street, shaking their behinds, celebrating. What are you celebrating? Your your ancestors were massacred here a hundred years ago. Mm. You should be taking this seriously. But that just shows you the brainwashing okay. that goes that goes into that because there was a white guy on one of the comments on, I think, one of the uh, one of the news outlets. And I'm gonna get to the news outlet second, and I'll get into the politicians. There was a white guy who commented on something that a news outlet put out, and this white guy said, "Why are these these black people with guns coming here um, to disrupt with what our good blacks have here? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? This is this is what I'm talking about when." They're brainwashed, and not all of them. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going to say all of them because a lot of them have broken those chains and have, you know, aligned with the movement or want to align with the movement. But you still have Massa over here saying, "Don't mess up, with, don't mess up with my slaves." Got going on here. This is, I mean, if you think about it, if you go back 200 years ago, that would have been the statement that he just made. Mm-hmm. He just made it for modern times, but he's telling you. Don't mess with my slaves. That's what he's telling you. And this is what they adhere to. But they need to see different because if they don't see different, how can they do different? Remember what, what Queen Mother Harriet Tubman said, I could have freed a lot more slaves if they only knew they were slaves. So we have to also understand that some people may not even want to be free. Some of them may not even want to come along. So we have to also take that into consideration to know in this journey that we go through for black empowerment and black liberation, not everybody's going to come along. And we have to accept that. And we have to leave those behind that want to stay on the plantation. Now, as far as the media goes, they did spin it as a celebration. But when it came to talking about um, the Black Power Conference and the armed maneuver, they didn't mention when it came to us specifically, they never used that word that I'm aware of. They never used that term celebration. They knew we weren't coming to celebrate anything. We were coming to pay respects to the ancestors who lost their lives. And we were coming to pay respects to those three known survivors. And we were coming to pay respects and fellowship with the descendants of the massacre. So they never used no celebration with us because we didn't come here to celebrate anything. We came to pay homage and respect. So, so, you know, but I did see articles when they talked about what other groups had going on, they used the term celebration. And again, that's a plantation of mentality saying you're celebrating. You're celebrating a massacre. You're celebrating putting your people into poverty. You're celebrating being um, in this racial wealth gap because your people no longer own those businesses down there. And they dropped a baseball field in the middle of your neighborhood or two college campuses, and they just pushed you out. They turned you into refugees in your own community. And so, that part of it is sad, and we have to continue to work with the people there in Tulsa to, so they can be awakened themselves and see what's going on in the, in the fight back, and not necessarily with the firearms, but, again, in the political sense and trying to win back a lot of that land and gain that land back that was stolen from them. And then the last part, when it comes to the politicians and these threats that were made, like you said, I told them the second time I was in Tulsa, we're not coming here for violence. But I can promise you, those those white antagonists, they weren't going to come out there. <laughs> Why? 
Okay. It's not because it's not, real, realistically, it's not working. I tell people when people were protesting last year, I'm going to use a quick example. When people were protesting last year and they were getting their heads cracked open with these rubber bullets and beat up and brutalized by the police and gas, I always told the young activists out here, I said, the only reason why that's happening is because you all aren't armed. I said, I'm going to show you the difference. Two times uh, here and specifically, we got armed, we marched to the state capitol, and we marched back. Nothing happened to us. Right before we went to Tulsa, a few weeks before we went to Tulsa, actually right before that press conference in Tulsa, there was a sister out here, a quadriplegic. They, had a, uh, they were doing a vigil, and the police came up, dumped her out of her wheelchair, and left her in the street, tore up everything out there, brutalized her. People sent me the, the video the next morning. I saw it. I had one of my people get in touch with her people. I said, let me know the very next time you all are going to do that. I said, we're going to come out there. <laughs> they gave us the time and the date. I sent the fire team out there. We surrounded the site. The police drove past. Not once did they stop. When you see five armed black men standing out there, kitted up with rifles, sidearms, and plate carriers on, not once did they even think about hesitating or slowing down in front of that vigil. They kept going. I got my chief of security always says when they see us, they think about it and they say it's not worth it. That's how we even the playing field when we do things. And I'm not advocating to just go out there and randomly start blowing people away. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is self-defense is key. Self-defense is key to a nation. Any nation is built with self-defense. And when you can defend your own people, people are going to think twice about violating your people. That was the message that we're trying to send that never again, as long as we pick up arms and we're willing to defend our people, never again will you brutalize us like you did 100 years ago. We're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, uh, you can get involved in the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're in conversation with activists, organizer, and founder of the Geronimo Pratt Gun Club. Brother Nick Bazell is with us. We're recapping what happened in in the assessments and recap of what happened at the Black Power Conference in Tulsa. And again, you can get involved by dialing 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com.
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commits you black family, to join your interconnected commits you black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. The brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us? Or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you.
have a message to the black man. Because the black man today is a man who has been made now almost into a laughing stock. Nobody takes the black man serious. We're just used to be somebody's tool. We are the sportsmen. We're the singers and the dancers. And we're also labeled as the pimps and the criminals and the drug dealers and the killers and the vagabonds of society. We're the bogeymen of British society and other Western systems. And we want to dispel that lie and destroy those myths and put the black man back on the map where we belong. Who is the black man? The black man is the original man. If it wasn't for the black man, no other men could be on this planet. We are the fathers of humanity. We gave birth to all of you. Today, Reverend, you can't do nothing for me. See, that's what we gotta be careful of. We gotta be careful of who we bow down to. But see, when you get in your congregation and you talk this Jesus, this powerful Jesus that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand, then you go with your hat in your hand to the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap. And you make the white man downtown disrespect all of us. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 823 here in the city of Philadelphia, and we're in conversation with activist, organizer, and founder of the Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club. Brother Nick Bazell is with us this evening, and you can get involved in the conversation by dialing 215 Four nine zero nine eight three two. That's two one five four nine zero ninety eight thirty two. Let's take a couple calls here and see what's going on. Let's go to Albuquerque, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Albuquerque, are you there? I'm just listening. Go ahead. All right. Let's 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 let's. I'll put you back on hold. 
Let's go to Indiana, 765. Are you there? Indiana? Let's put them on hold. Let's go to 215. 215? 215? Hey, Brother Elliot. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, Brother Richard, man. Hello to your distinguished guest. I'm just listening, Brother Elliot. I love that Brother Spirit. I'm just going to take that brother, brother Purcell, and, and to, be, to, you know, to be produced from all over America. I love that brother's fighting spirit, his fire, and the passion, love for our people, brother Elliot. That's all I want to say tonight, but I'm just going to keep listening, Elliot. I love, love that brother tonight, man. And it's put me on the other listen the rest of the way. All right. Put you on hold. Let's go to Oberlin, Ohio. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm like everyone else. I came in kind of late, so I don't. I don't really want really to speak on anything, but I'm just, I'm going to keep listening. All right. I'll put you on hold. Yeah, Brother Rizal, the, um, you, you know, we, we, we touched on some of the things that was going on at the conference, uh, some of the successes that happened and some of the marching orders that some of the brothers and sisters have leaving there. Uh, let me go back to Texas again. Um, yeah. because we see that, uh, that and, and and it hasn't changed. It, I, I mean, see, some of our people put this stuff on Republicans and and uh, uh, you know, listen. Uh, to me, whether you're Republican or Democrat, uh, it's about American imperialism to them. This is just a means to an end. It's a part of their system of checks and balances. So you know, you, you have these games being played by politicians. But we see that in Texas. Um, similar to Florida and Georgia and other states, because there's other states with this legislation that's pending. But this uh, severe voting restrictions that's targeting uh, black folks, uh, the the education system that, that wants to abolish slavery being talked about uh, in classrooms. Although, to be honest, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, it, you know, getting white folks to talk about the system of slavery and what their ancestors did, I could care less, to be honest, because that's up to us to teach our children about what has went on with these people. But um, we, we see these things going on. Um, but in the backdrop of all of that, we see our people organizing. Uh, we see stuff happening in small towns and in major cities. And I want to use a town as an example and just get you to talk about it from your perspective. Uh, James Byrd was lynched in Jasper, Texas uh, over 20 years ago. And the impression that was given about the people in Jasper, uh, it really wasn't a good impression media wise. I don't live in Jasper and I don't live in Texas. Talk about what's happening now in those towns and the organization that has been going on around what you brothers and sisters are doing uh, with the Geronimo Pratt Gun Club. Right, right. So, you know, I was I was fairly young, a lot younger. You know, it was twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there were groups who organized and went out. Uh, to Jasper, Texas, when when that situation happened, and again, that was before my time, before my involvement in in the movement. Um, 
But when you ask people out in those, those East Texas towns today about how it was back then or how it is now, um, a lot of times when you're talking about Jasper, and I know you've heard about Vider, Texas, and some of these other small towns that were extremely racist and clan infested, um, you'll have people today uh, tell you that uh, it's not like it was 20 years ago or 25 years ago or 30 years ago. Uh, they try to portray it in a different light than what we saw on the news 20 years, 20 or 25 years ago, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, but there's such a there's such a different makeup of the state now, um, and I'll, I'll let you know what I'm talking about. So when uh, Bush was still the governor, uh, Greg Abbott, not Greg Abbott, I'm sorry. Um, before Greg Abbott, the last governor, he ended up working for Trump um, as the energy guy. Uh, his name slips me right now, but he was, um, he basically invited companies to come to Texas and they would have tax breaks. And so a lot of companies in particular, now you'll see uh, here in Austin and in Houston, you'll see a lot of tech companies moving in because they get these tax breaks because there's no um, state tax here. And so the dynamic in Texas is changing. Native Texans um, don't really care for it but because you have people coming in from California, so their money goes a lot further here than it did from where they came from. So while uh, Texas has been traditionally a Republican state for the, you know, for the last 40 years, it's, it's purple now. Uh, but this, but this is because you have uh, more liberals coming from the West Coast, changing the dynamic. Now it doesn't; it's not going to change out in the the rural areas. It's just going to be in the urban areas. But there are a lot more now, so it's kind of changing the dynamic that's going on here. Um, so those those rural areas, um, I'm sure, are pretty much still the same as they were the situation you're talking about when a brother was drugged behind the truck. I'm sure a lot of those, there's a lot of those pockets still out there. Um, but when you get closer to the urban centers, um, it's, it's probably more, more liberal. And I'm talking white, you know, white people that come from the West coast. Um, but then when you start looking at the black dynamic here, you see a lot of blacks starting to, um, you know, organize. You see, you start seeing a lot of blacks starting to organize, get together, and do a lot of these different things that we talked about earlier on in your show. Okay. And and so I, I mentioned Fort Worth because those brothers and sisters in Fort Worth, they're doing a lot of work up there. Um, they're fighting. They're politically sound and politically savvy. They're actually fielding politicians up there and not just voting based on a um, party. Okay. But what they are doing up there in Fort Worth, they're, they're voting based on interest. And they're coming out in numbers. The brothers that sit to Fort Worth, they're coming out in numbers and they're advocating for their politicians, the ones that they picked, they've handpicked them, and they vetted them. And that's what we have to start doing, um, not just in Texas, but across the nation. Like if we want to, again, I mentioned it before, if we want to push the black agenda forward, we have to go out and handpick our politicians, vet them, groom them, and start putting them in these positions where they can make changes, whether it's on the uh, the uh, 
you know, the, the city level, municipality, the state level, or the federal level. We can't we can't vote for people to be our representatives in D.C. We're not when they're truly not a representative of us or they don't represent us. And so I, that's why I give a lot of these. Um, like I said, Fort Worth, I give them a lot of props with what their units are doing out there. Um, and we talked about the Black Power Conference, um, you know, a brother from Chicago, uh, Marlon Watson, he does a lot of stuff in Illinois. He just made uh, violence a health crisis. Like they passed a law in Illinois that made violence a health crisis. And now they're trying to push it on the federal level because it's no different than uh, the whites. They were getting uh, legislation passed for them for the opioid crisis. So this brother is working to try to make violence a health crisis so we can be compensated the same way white folks are getting, are getting compensated for the opioid crisis, but yet the war on drugs targeted us and put us in jail. So we have to be able to play these same games that these white people play. And that's what I mean about us becoming more politically savvy and weaponizing our vote. We have to use the same tricks that these white folks do to also move our agenda forward. And I just say, well, I'm not going to vote and throw my hands up. No, let's strategize. And that was kind of what the Black Power Conference was about. Let's strategize, figure out how we can do this, and then let's go back and execute the mission when we get back to where we came from. We're in conversation with activists and organizer and founder of the Elmer Geronimo Pratt Glenn Club, Brother Nick Brazil. Again, you can give us a call, 215-490-9832 to get involved. Let's go to 267. 267? Hey, I would like to say good at, uh, good evening, Elliot. Good evening, Richard. I want to say good evening to your guests. Um, very intelligent conversation here. And, you know, I, 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 I was a little shocked you had a lot of people online, but they didn't have any questions. And what I wanted to ask the brother, you know, because um, it, it just came to my mind, these YouTube groups that you see pop up like the NFCA or not, you know, effing around, call it, were, all, were any of their representatives or any of them made contact with you or they just what I think they are. And, you know, I just had to ask you that question out of my own curiosity, because I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, <clears throat> so this formation was open to everybody. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that there were uh, individuals from that formation. I'm sure they were in our formation as well. Because uh, some people that we know, know some of those people. Um, and so they probably fell in with them. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that, that they were there, uh, mm-hmm. but that it's not like something that we, uh, we went out and was like, oh yeah, they all came around here. So, because we opened it up to all, <clears throat> not just all gun owners, but to all people. Right. And so, uh, so the invitation was extended to everyone. So, uh, I'm sure that there were probably some within that formation as well. Okay, man. I want to just calling i also called in to thank you for your good work man that's very promising and gives me some hope that you know some things are going on even though with the propaganda campaign that's out there right now we you know it's hard to find so i just called to say thank you bro and uh i'll try to get more um more of your information so i can be an asset uh, to your organization all right I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Black Power. I appreciate it. Yep. Yes, sir. Take care. All right. Peace. Let's go to uh, Austin. Austin, Texas. Austin, are you there? Texas? 
Let's put them. Let's put them on hold. Let's go to McKinley, McKinley, Texas, four six nine. Hey, hey, how you all doing today? Great. How you doing? Yeah, Kevin Prince. I'm in Tulsa. Okay. Um, yeah, I. Hey, first of all, before I say anything, thank you, young man. I mean, this is what we're talking about: our young people stepping up to the plate. And many times, the old heads talk about these young people; they're not doing anything. Now, we can't use that excuse. This young man and many others are stepping up to the plate doing what needs to be done. So, I first of all, I would like to thank you so much for your activism and your 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 genius and, and having a knowledge of what it is that we need to do. So, thank you so much. I did participate in it. And, and by the way, that person who you think, talk thinking about, that's Rick Perry. Period. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And I lived in Texas for 20 years, so I, I'm, okay. you know, I'm well aware of all of that. Uh, there and, was and, a brother and his famous and his famous ranch as well. But well, that's a discussion for another another day. <laughs> yeah, you talked about Fort Worth, and at one time I was over there doing teaching computer classes over in one of the projects that they tore down on the riverfront. Uh, there's a brother over there by the name of Reverend Sutton, and I know he's up in age because I'm getting up in age. Is do you know anything about him or whether or not he's active? I don't, but I but I'm glad you mentioned his name because I will uh, reach out uh, to the brothers and sisters of Fort Worth uh, and and see if he's active now. I'm glad you dropped his name because I can check and see. Yeah, now I know he's up in age because I'm getting up in age, so I don't know whether or not you know he's still around uh, or whatever. Uh, I know I was down there. Hey, Elliot and and uh, Richard, it was beautiful seeing all those black people down there, and it shows that when we left our own, like you mentioned all the time, Elliot, we can do we can do whatever we want to do without outside interference. It was beautiful. But I would like to ask you this, and then I'm going to get off the line. Were you down at the Ellis Walker Woods Memorial? Um, I know I know there was a group. I don't know if it was a part of your group or not, but one day it was a group of people down at the Ellis Walker Memorial, and it was a, a, a uh, an elder. She marched with... Um, Mother Moore, Queen Mother Moore. Okay. okay. And this was this was Monday. No, uh, no, that was uh, no. I saw you all. I was I was elsewhere, and I couldn't get back to where you all were. And I did see okay. the march. I did see, and it was beautiful. I just okay. couldn't get over to it. No, this was okay. on Saturday. Okay. Um, yeah, I know Queen Mother Moore. Um, I can't remember the sister's name, but okay. she 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 was actually, um, you know, uh, along with uh, Queen Mother Moore, you know, and you okay. know she's in her eighties or whatever. I I was just thinking, right. just asking whether or not you were down there. Well, anyway, look, let me get on off the phone, and again, I congratulate you and thank you so much, young man, for doing what you're doing, and. I know we're going to be successful. Oh, by the way, Richard yes, and Elliot, one, two other things. Another thing I'd like to add. 
I did have an opportunity to meet Oshi and yeah, Brother I think, West. Yeah, I think they they uh, they were going up. The, oh, so you did? Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I had opportunity to meet both of them. Uh, had an opportunity to really have a real, real good conversation with West. So yeah, that I, I and you know, good brothers. Both of them good brothers. So anyway, let me get off the <laughs> phone and I'll continue to listen. Brother West is a heavy. Uh, he's a heavy brother. Yeah, I, I bought a couple of books for him. I hadn't cracked them open yet, but I'll, I'll get to the point to where I'll do it. Maybe I'll send you all some pictures from the event as well. Good, good. I'll be looking forward to it. Thanks. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go to 215. 215? Yes, uh, good evening. Um, good evening to you brothers and good evening to your guests. Um, not going to take long. Just one question. Um that I wanted to ask. Um, I heard you say, brother, earlier when you first started talking that um, you you considered uh, joining up with NAGA, right? But you said you decided not to. Um, what, right. what was the reason that, that you decided not to join up and go a different route? Right, right. That's a good question. And and I don't, you know, stuff like that. I don't I don't shy away from. It. I try to be transparent and open. Um, with NAGA, NAGA is supposed to be our alternative to the NRA. Um, but I, I just feel that with NAGA, so I, so I am a NAGA card holder. I am a NAGA card member. Um, but, um, overall, they're a little more passive than, than what I wanted to be. Um, and so, our philosophies didn't really align. It wasn't, I don't think it wasn't until George Floyd happened that maybe uh, the president, Philip Smith, uh, out of Atlanta, I believe that's when he made a statement saying that they have to be become more politically involved because he was trying to stay out of politics, which to me, and, and everybody's entitled to um, maneuver their ship the way they want to. That's his prerogative. But as black people, we don't have the luxury to sit on the sideline. We have to be active in all facets um, of this beast that we live in called America. So we can't just sit back and say, well, I'm not going to get involved. Because remember, uh, Philando Castile in Minnesota, he was a legal gun owner. He had a gun permit, and he was executed in front of his family. Um, But Naga didn't get involved in his case. You see what I'm saying? Like that's a situation okay. where Naga should have fought for that brother, but they okay. didn't because okay. they wanted to be on the sideline. So for okay. me, for me personally, what they were doing at the time didn't jive with what I wanted my organization to do. So, and plus there were a few other things behind the scenes. Um, so that I'm not really going to get into And It's nothing with the overall organization is more on a local level. And so I just, for me, our philosophies didn't didn't jive well, and when I look at stuff like that, I'm like, man, they should have they should have did something for that brother's family, or fought for that brother, or took the limited resources they had to help fight to get justice for that family, and they decided to to tap out or you know check out of the game. So so for so so, so those are some of the reasons why I decided not to uh, put my organization under that umbrella. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because um, well. You know, number one, you know, I have a permit, you know, to, to carry my, my firearm. Um, 
but I was really interested in knowing those reasons and everything. And also, I'm also a member of MAGA. Um, I think it's a good organization, but I, now I can see why you decided to go a different route because like the route you're going, um, you have more flexibility. You can do right. things um, outside of that organization because you basically started your own. Right. You know, and then, you know, in your state, Texas, um, is an open carry state, um, right. which, and I heard you mention earlier that some states that people might want you to come to, bring your organization to, you're not allowed the, the same flexibility in other states as you're allowed in Texas. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm glad it, you go it, into that. It, it, yeah, and one other quick thing, um, you know, I, I just uh, – and with that flexibility, see, so with MAGA, what they try to do, which is, you know, responsible gun ownership, gun training, a lot of the basic stuff, like we cover all that. Like if we bring somebody in that's never dealt with firearms, everything that you would learn under the MAGA program, um, we do all of that. And, but then we go so – we do so much more, and we go so much further, and we're so much more extensive. I mean, we okay. do tactical training, you know, we do survival training, like we do all of this. Um, so whatever you would learn with MAGA, you would also learn with us and then so much more. Because we still up, you have to understand, we, st we, we are a gun club who can also function as a militia if need be. But we're a gun club. And if the time comes that we have to flip that switch, we train to be able to do that. We're self so that's why we call ourselves a self-defense unit because we train as a gun club and in the event that we have to protect our people, we will. You find a lot more of these, I'll use the term passive organizations who aren't in that same mindset because I can think of local organizations here in Central Texas that they just like to um, recreational shoot. So we recreational shoot, we competition shoot, and we tactically train. Um, okay. And so that, that will find and it. And of course, we go out into the community, we see the homeless, um, you know, we have other units that we partner with where we do rescue missions. We go, um, when you're talking about domestic violence, we've had a situation out here recently where there was a domestic violence issue that we intervened. We went to the sister's house. We installed, we installed cameras. We uh, trained her um, with mace and firearms. So this is the thing that we go out and do for our people that may not even be televised. I'm just sharing it with you now just so you have an idea of kind of what we do in the spectrums, you know, the large spectrum that we cover as, as a gun club. These are the things that we do for our people. Well, uh, listen, it sounds like y'all doing great work. I hope the creator uh, blesses y'all, you know, to continue, um, you know, continue doing that good work. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Thanks for your call. Richard, um, before we get to take our next call, you know, that. This is a perfect example, Richard, of thing that you talk about a lot, operational unity. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Brother Brazil said that he's a card-carrying member of NAGA, but his organization goes a lot further. Um, which is, listen, it's a perfect example of operational unity. Both of those organizations is about our people defending themselves in self-defense. I mean, we're not... Uh, uh, clones of one another everybody has you know different perspectives and outlooks they uh, and uh and the geronimo pratt uh, club is going further 
But I still like the the idea of all of those organizations working together. And I'm quite sure Brother Brazil does, too. Absolutely. Uh, let's take let's go to six four six in New York six four six six four six are you there six four six let's put them on hold. Uh, go go ahead, go ahead, Richard. I want to get uh, a couple things. If brother Brazil, I I. I love the five C's. What's <laughs> 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 um, that? Compromiser, cloud chaser, and I couldn't get the last one. Mm-hmm. Cones, clowns, cowards, compromise, and cloud chasers. Oh, okay, okay. Cowards. That's the one I could. Okay, that, that was. I, 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 you, I, I, I am. I am going to try to incorporate that because I, I can see that. Uh, the, how it works, right? As far as okay. uh, fine. Um, yes, sir. And it, that, you know the the other thing, and and I'm glad that um, brother Paul, he was able to uh, help make that distinction between you know um, Geronimo Pratt Club and Naga, um, and and I had this thought, and I wanted to know as as it as it related to you know your 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 training as an organization. Um, and being at Tulsa and looking at the history of Tulsa, what happened, right, uh, historically, mm-hmm. years later. Because at that point, there were um, militia groups throughout Texas that was going, coming to the aid and support. But as you say, there was, um, when you got state, local, and, and, and white um, uh, cultural, anti-African, anti-Black, um, violent, Mindset. Um, I, I just take that it was overwhelmed, and I'm I'm at, I'm saying that to ask the question. Looking at um, history as a means of strategy, does the does the do y'all have a training process to look at the militias over t- historical time, black militias over historical time, and how they organize in relationship to their strengths and weaknesses, and how um, the um, Geronimo Platt clubs needs to look at as a self-defense club, if that makes sense. Right. Right. I think um, not just just, uh, my organization, but I think a lot of the other organizations, I think the the biggest thing that we study um, is the COINTELPRO document Mm -hmm. um, overall. I think (laughs) that's critical um, to learn about how infiltration took place and Uh how they view us. Wow. Um, so I think more than more than just the right, like a lot of us in these in these gun clubs, a lot of us are prior service military. So we understand how tactics themselves work, right? So when people say, Oh, well, they have planes and they have this and they have that other stuff, well, we study asymmetrical warfare, which is basically guerrilla warfare. You can't you know, it's one thing to fight, you know, on the line, everybody lines up or whatever, marches toward each other. You know, that's conventional warfare. Asymmetrical warfare is what you saw in Vietnam. Asymmetrical warfare is what you've seen the second half of Iraq or what you saw in Afghanistan. That's asymmetrical warfare. You can cause an army, in this case it would be law enforcement throughout the country and National Guard, so on and so forth. You can make it so bad by using asymmetrical warfare 
that the people, because remember, and, and this is clearly long before my time, but remember, the American people got so upset with Vietnam that they started protesting the war to get the United States to pull out of Vietnam because so many soldiers were dying over there for no reason. So when you start looking at asymmetrical warfare, those, those same principles have applied throughout time. When the quote unquote revolutionaries, the white revolutionaries back in the 1700s, 1770, you fill in the last number, fought the British. Remember, it wasn't just George Washington crossing a river on the boat and line of armies up. Remember, they had guerrilla fighters. They were fighting asymmetrical warfare then against the British, which drug the war out, which then allowed France to come in and help uh, the colonies in the end gain their independence from, from Britain. So for us on the tactical side, we already know how to operate in that spectrum. But what it comes down to is how did we lose in the 60s? And that's why the COINTELPRO documents are so important because we go back and see how they view us and we learn about the infiltration, and we learn how they pit us against one another, and we learn how people who look like us are there to divide us. So more so not learning the tactical side, but more of the, the infiltration side is what helps organizations um, today. Information and intelligence um, and, and complaint, uh, and complaint. Absolutely. Complaint, complaint of them. And if I if one more question, and it goes back to you know the event, uh, the, the gathering conference in Tulsa, and you have mentioned about the um, imagery when Elliot brought up about making this a, a commemoration. I'm curious because propaganda and propaganda image making is a important tool to to neutralize um, 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 group formations also. So, um, um, and you, you gave that the media did um, push this celebration. I was wondering how did the media, um, it, 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 to the degree it did, um, project the image of the conference and and specifically the um, you know the um, you know the, the members of the different um, gun clubs coming into Tulsa. Is there a general buzzword that they created that, that gave an image that they put in um, in their um, press or media presentation that you were able to pick up? Well, I, I actually, and I, I try, again, I try to be as transparent as possible. I will say about 90% of the media coverage that we received, either prior to the march or leading up to the march, um, was was very positive was very well received the media um, i ran i probably had nearly 30 interviews leading all the way up to the march and i'm talking about from that from like the day before the press conference the press conference and then leading all the way up um to the march itself i probably did over 30 interviews and i will say um i can't think of one person up until the march um that said anything negative they you know they were actually on the Tulsa Police Department and the City Council about the permit so they actually helped us to apply pressure to get the the city to make a decision and you know they were accurately reporting what our message was now of course um you'll have one or two outlets after the march that try to spin it in a negative light 
but that's expected from, you know, certain outlets or whatever the case may be. But I will definitely say 90 to probably 92, 93% of the coverage that we received um, was, 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 was extremely well um, to include CBS national vice news, um, pretty big media outlets um, were, you know, very, very supportive and actually very impressed with uh, our message and delivery. That's, that's interesting and encouraging. You know, um, you kind of beat me to uh, the question I was going to ask uh, because I usually ask activists that same question that you already answered about the, uh, but uh, you, I think you went a step further, Brother Brazil, when you said that you kind of study their approaches during Pro, which I think is very important because, you know, after that incident that took place in California with uh, Christopher Dorna and then what took mm-hmm. place in Texas with Micah Johnson, I know that right. organizations such as yourself uh, was under scrutiny. Uh, they may have tried and not tried. I know that they tried to infiltrate uh any black clubs, uh, black gun clubs around this country that had been forming or that was in the process of forming because of, of uh, Michael Johnson being a, a serviceman that had just gotten out that knew all types of tactical maneuvers. And, you know, they sent the robot in there to to eliminate right. him. Blow him up. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that uh, that you study these things and have the men and women involved in the organization study it because it's going to be necessary. Their MO and their tactics have been to infiltrate any black groups, even if the groups was was considered peaceful, they would infiltrate these groups. So you know if the organization is is based on some type of self-reliance, some type of independence, putting uh, uh, national pride back into our people, you know that they're going to be targets. So I, I'm just uh, happy to hear that you uh, was looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, I definitely, I'm not, you know, I'm not a fool and I'm not crazy. Um, I, I try to, I try to, to pay my organizations and the organizations that we associate with, I try to always um, show the positive work that we're doing in the community. But, you know, even doing that, um doesn't always help because remember the Panthers were, were targeted for feeding people. Mm-hmm. That's what they were doing. They were feeding the community and they were targeted and they were either assassinated or trumped up charges to lock them up. Like general Geronimo. I mean, he was a great man. They trumped up charges and he spent 27 years in jail for a crime he didn't commit. So I would be a fool that, um, if there wasn't a dossier on me prior to Tulsa, I'm sure there's one now. Um, and that's just, you know, just the nature of the business that we're in for, for uh, defense and liberation of our people and empowerment. Brother Nick, listen, I want to thank you for being with us. Richard, any last things you want to uh, you know, mention? The same thing to, you know, thank and appreciate. And I, well, I guess it is, as you mentioned this, um, I think as, as a military um, tech, tactician and understanding that, I think it would be helpful for us to continue to look at the historical um, historical 
formations in say state of Texas, the state of Oklahoma, that because it's those other groups are doing the same thing. It's one thing about the state, but it's these other quote unquote militia groups. And and we have to keep in mind that when the Second Amendment was written, black folks was very proud of that also in relationship to the right that bear arms. These, as you gave the example earlier, white folks were written into it as a means of the rights that bear arms. And they are also, um, they are the first line of defense. This is, I guess, my opinion in relationship to black folks, even nonviolently uh, or not without a security to protect themselves, to, um, you know, just go and maintain uh, this uh, colonial relationship that we're under. So um, hopefully I'm not just babbling and it makes sense to you that um, Absolutely. You know, historical strategy, we should um, center it because a lot of those men, even a hundred years ago, were ex-military men coming home, defending mm -hmm. the community. And they did to a certain degree. And still they had to operate with the culture the, the local municipality, the National Guard, I mean, yeah, and the state National Guard and and the military itself. So, um, you know, the government itself. So we need to just, I just, a precautionary note uh, of something you probably already thought about. Well, Brazil, listen, thanks for being with us. Uh, I'm going to stay in touch with you because I want you to uh, kind of keep us abreast of what the uh, the group is doing and you know any new chapters anything that you're doing i can put it out on uh, uh you know our social media page i'll do that and you can come on and give us periodic updates on what's going on also yeah you know, i appreciate you guys this is the new five c represents the five c's <laughs> <laughs> yes sir yes sir brother i'll talk to you soon all right thanks for having me on guys all right we're gonna take a brief break when we come back, Richard, listen, I want you to uh, to kind of go into some of the things that we had been discussing off air. It was interesting, uh, interesting conversation we had. I, I, you know what I'm talking about. We'll we'll take a brief break. And when we come back, uh, we'll transition in a little bit of a open form. Uh, you can squeeze in if you want to by down two one five four nine zero nine eight three two. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. For an awakening, time for an awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. 
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu Black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu Black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. I am an African. The death of my brother is also my death. Let me put this question to you again, because many foolish black middle classes and many foolish people who are eating well think that they can sit in America and watch this country destroy the African continents and watch this country destroy African Caribbeans and watch this country destroy Africans in Central and South America and think that these same people who destroy Africans abroad will not be the same people who will destroy them in America. There are fools in this, this country who try to claim that they are not Africans, who claim that they do not see color, as if they're not seeing color makes any difference in the world. Simply because you don't see color doesn't mean somebody does not see you as color, and that's the issue. And you think then that you can sit in this country 
while this same nation and these same people that you sleep with and marry and love and so forth can go out and destroy African people and not think those people do not see you as African. Even though you choose not to see yourself as African, you better think again. You're out of your minds and you're headed for death. You must understand that. Hide behind it. I am an American. Ladies and gentlemen, the death and destruction of black people will follow those kind of abstractions. Probably the next five or ten years will indicate whether or not the black man can survive. Our struggle for survival is a very real struggle. And the white man has prepared genocide for black people. Unemployment, the black man is no longer necessary. Unemployment is going to be a way of life for black people. We are going to face increasing dangers and problems as the days pass. And we're totally unequipped as black people to deal with them. We're a part of a slave culture. We have no preparation. We have no black institutions capable of dealing with white racist institutions designed to serve only white people. We must deal with the problem that confronts black people by building black institutions, by understanding that only a separate disposition is a viable position for black people. Any organization or any leader in America who today advocates integration is a foe and an enemy of black people and their survival in the coming years. this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issues, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. You are listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media. 
part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. I want to thank our guest who spent some time with us this evening, activist and organizer and founder of the Elmo Geronimo, Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club. Brother Nick Brazil is with us, was with us in an uh, interesting conversation. Richard, uh, interesting insights on a brother that's uh, young and active and organizing in the community. It's definitely, um, you know, it continues to be encouraging that um, we have those who take it upon themselves and are clear of, you know, the, what that what that means to take that responsibility of, of looking at um, securing and defending um, our community while it's still in development of being our community. Uh, Richard, you um, you shared with me something in the reference to the uh, Juneteenth. Um, and plus, I want to share something with the listening audience, uh, something that, uh, oh, uh, something that, uh, yeah, um, I think you you I think your mic is up just a little bit, Richard. Uh, you got to turn that down. So good. Um, I, I want to um, share something with the listening audience, uh, and it's something that Malcolm just mentioned in that piece. Uh, it's it's interesting. Um, uh, the brother that did that column uh, last week, Michael Harriet, was on with uh, uh, Charles Blow on his program and they were talking about Biden and Tulsa. Did you see that Richard? No, I didn't. Um, now I can mention it before you mentioned Juneteenth. If uh, uh, it's up to you say that again, say, go ahead. Yeah. Um, first I want to read this up because you knew, you know, that Biden and your, uh, I think your volume is down a little low and you might, you turn it up a little bit. Um, Biden was in Tulsa, uh, went to Tulsa to address the audience. Uh, and let me share uh, from this article in Politico uh, what was stated by some of the blacks that heard it. And keep in mind uh, what Brother Bazell said about the, <laughs> the categories that he uses, Richard, the five C's. Because it's 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 interesting the dilemma. Uh, because it's a, it is a dilemma that we have to deal, and we're going to have to deal with this. Um, let me read some of the segments of this article from Politico, and then I'm gonna play the clip uh, from Charles Blow. Uh, it's a Politico article on uh, June third. Biden pri- privately tells. Uh, black lawmakers not to expect much on reparations legislation. Uh, that's, that's the header of the article. Joe Biden was more blunt about racism than perhaps any president before him and that many in the crowd expected. In his remarks commemorating 100 years since the Tulsa race massacre on Tuesday, he called out how through the years 
They've been members in elected office who were very public about their association or membership with the KKK. Representative Cory Bush uh, of a Democrat from Missouri said in the parking lot at the Greenwood Cultural Center. He set up uh, the scene in his speech to take us into what he was happening at the time. It was really powerful. I was so glad to hear it. As a candidate, Biden said he supported a commission on reparations, but the administration has yet to endorse an actual bill. After the speech Tuesday, according to those involved in conversations, Biden let them down gently. He didn't disagree with what we were doing, says Representative Brenda Lawrence, Democrat from Michigan the second vice chair of the CBC, but he did talk about his plate being full, uh, trying to get infrastructure bills passed, and that he really wanted to make sure that he could get a lot of those through before he uh, took on anything else. Representative Hank Johnson Democrat from Georgia, the CBC whip said Biden's speech was meaningful for Tulsa and the country, adding most of America had absolutely zero knowledge of the greatest single atrocity to black people in this country. For him to use his pulpit to publicize what happened to them uh, has to be cathartic for them. Nehemiah Frank, a descendant and founder of Black Wall Street Times in Tulsa said, if you want to pull people together, you can't fully help black people. That's how I feel about it. If you want to make black folks happy, you're going to piss off a lot of Americans. Oklahoma State Representative Regina Goodwin, a descendant, of survivors of Tulsa's race massacre who had been fighting for reparations in Tulsa for decades says that she uh, would have been pleasantly surprised if Biden had mentioned reparations in his speech, but wasn't really expecting it. She added he spoke uh, that she spoke with Biden about a range of issues privately, including HR 40. And he reiterated to her uh, what he said, when he spoke to other representatives. Uh, Look, it was not in his speech, but he was gracious enough to be here. He was gracious enough to take those steps. He was open in conversation. A lot, uh, I could say a lot more, uh, excuse me, a lot more can be said about some other folks, she says. Uh, Drazen Heath, a researcher for Human Rights Watch, says she uh, left immediately after Biden's speech out of frustration and lack of discussion on reparations. Uh, Ms. Heath said, this is not a celebration. People are mourning. Every day counts for these survivors. And I think that people just play games with black people's lives too much. It's not enough just to come and say words. And reiterate, and reiterate a truthful narrative. Reparations for black people have been a political, uh, risky topic for Democrats for decades. 
though Republicans have essentially never wavered from the opposition. But activists say that they have a reason to remain hopeful as the issue moves at a snail's pace in Congress. Richard, you see from several of these representatives. Now, this young sister, Drazen Heath, basically said that she was frustrated by hearing that rhetoric. Right? But from all of these representatives, and including this other guy that wasn't a representative, he was just a descendant of the founder of the the Black Wall Street Times, uh, when he said, if you want to pull people together, you can't fully help black people. Then you had comments from Regina Goodwin, an Oklahoma state rep. You had comments from uh, Hank Johnson uh, thanking him for being there, thanking him for giving a speech. I mean, what are you talking about? You know, Malcolm just, he just said in that piece I just played about these white politicians, liberals, and he said that in 64, Richard, have perfected the art of uh, being the Negro's friend and benefactor by all these flowery speeches. Now, if anybody haven't perfected the art of being the Negro, the quote-unquote Negro's friend, I don't, Biden has to perfect the art. He's been in politics 40 years. He gets up there and makes speeches that he has no intention of doing anything about. And people, and some of those representatives seem to be satisfied with that. Pushing the wagon down the, down, uh, down the road. Mm-hmm. Putting this thing, just like uh, Minister Farrakhan says in the other one, we can't keep relegating this to generation after generation. They seem to be content with it. Now let me, pl- I want to play uh, the comments made by Charles Blow in reference to uh, his frustration and just listen to the way they kicked it around. I'm going to get your opinion after I play this. There is no way that that Biden would be president without black people. He wouldn't even made it through the primaries without black people. And even he is saying, yes, 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 yes. But let me work. Let me let me get these uh, uh, blue collar guys in the Midwest first, right? You know, even he's saying, you know, let, let let me work on infrastructure bill first, and then we'll get around to your thing if I survive the midterms with the same. Uh, control of the House and Senate, because you know that may be upset in 2010, and we will never get to reparations. And that is the part that always, you know, that, that worries me, that upsets me. They tell you to wait, 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 knowing that the window is closing every day that you wait. So what do you think that black people should expect from the, from the Biden administration? He, we should, first of all, we should expect the same thing that anybody who supports the president or anybody who supports their congressman should, should expect, right? It's, it's past time for black people to be lowering their expectations and waiting behind all of the other people who didn't do the things that we did. So we should expect what any voter should expect. We put people in power. We should get something back for that. And I think one of the things that that Biden should do is do what Trump did, right? He used the power of the presidency for white people. 
right? He used that executive authority, and he used that bully pulpit, and he used every constitutional and sometimes unconstitutional. He, he did things that were unconstitutional and say, hey, look, see me in the Supreme Court if you don't want it to happen. Why can't Biden, why can't the Democrats do that for black people who put them in power? The Democratic Party will do the things for black people that the Republican Party does for white people. That's all we want, a fair exchange. That is how politics works. Rigid. Mm-hmm. Uh, all they want is a fair exchange. That's what he's commenting. That's what Harriet is commenting to blow. Right. Well, if you use a historical perspective in dealing with Europeans, there is no such thing as a fair exchange. Right. Right. It's the exchange is just as long as I come out on top. That's how Europeans deal. In in, in whatever it is, as long as I come out on top. To me, that's a fair exchange. And when you're dealing with the, this system that was set up based on white hegemony, that's what his whole objective is. As long as it works out in his benefit, that's a fair exchange. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just hard. It's, it's just hard to, uh, but this is the second time he done told that uh, group to uh you know like uh just be patient uh, to, uh, I, well the first time he didn't he didn't tell him be patient he kind of admonished him he might have admonished him in this time but it's no leaked audio before it was a leaked audio that was played in fact i played it on this program this time it was no leaked audio but he did meet with them and told them uh, listen here i'm not gonna do anything about reparations until i get other stuff done now we didn't heard that before in fact you know, Harriet said that when he gave that example of Trump doing everything he could for white folks and didn't hide it and used the bully pulpit to do it, well, that's what uh, a lot of black folks complained about Obama. He could have did the same thing. He didn't do it, and he's still giving excuses. He gave excuse to this uh, the young people involved in that Brothers Keeper. Less than two weeks ago, I played a clip where he was still giving excuses why he couldn't do it. Trump ain't giving no excuses. According to Harriet, he did what he wanted to do and told the lawmakers to uh, challenge it in the Supreme Court if you don't like it. It's, 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 but it's always an excuse when it comes to us by white politicians and black ones. It's an excuse. And some people put up with it because they keep voting for these folks. That's that's the that's the challenge there. That on one hand they keep voting, but you know, for those who look on that side of you know, of our piece of our pieces that we play, and it's the on the other side is that we haven't um, gathered enough strength to even out out position, and I'm talking about within the black political body, because you know, for those of us who are recognized that. It ain't even a game. It ain't, you know, the, what he's telling them, that's not no new thing, right? That's that's uh, the promises, and they do benefit. The political uh, leadership, the uh, managerial leadership, uh, those uh, petty bourgeois, quote-unquote, uh, capitalists, and those who think they are large uh, black, and I'm talking about black people. They benefit regardless. What, what, what we're talking about is 
black people who don't benefit from this as the woman, uh, I guess that was a woman who was saying, you know, she was frustrated from the, that was Human Watch. Human, yeah, it's a young sister. She looked like she's maybe 30. Yeah, you know, frustrated. It's 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 those of uh, who are not a part of those groups that can't wait, and, you know, like those uh, and the and and that being like those elders from Tulsa, you know, how much how much longer can they wait when they put in a court case after the incident happened? I know, and, and they're one hundred and seven. I mean, and this guy come to Tulsa with some old bullshit speech, and these representatives think that that's the adequate well that, you know that, that's the challenges because he came in and admitted that the clan uh some of these politicians openly favored the clan oh wow what a revelation and, and that's where the five c's come in because another voice was someone from um tulsa who who said that well if i if i heard it right well, I did talk to him, and we did talk about uh, a lot reparations and other things. And I'm pleased. Now, this is someone uh, who's from the community where that those elders um, um, live, and should be entitled to some kind of repair. Forgetting the national repair, uh, you know, if, from the state. But those, those, they did. And there she's saying, well, because I had a private conversation with him, you know, and we talked about uh, several things. Um, well, let me, let, let me read what she says and then I'll let you comment. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma State Representative Regina Goodwin, a descendant of survivors of Tulsa Race Massacre, who had been fighting for reparations in Tulsa for decades, says that she would have been pleasantly surprised if Biden had mentioned reparations in his speech, but really wasn't expecting it. Um, she added she spoke with Biden about a range of issues privately uh, and said that, look, it was not in his speech, but he was gracious enough to be here. He was gracious enough to take steps. He was open to conversation a lot more than I could say for some folks. What? That's, and that's, and that's what I'm saying that this, um, we have to look at, or I would, I would say we have to look at, um, our internal political contest, our internal political organizing, just Brazil, Brazil, um, you know, he's taking this initiative and we've had others. I mean, they're taking it out of, out of something within themselves, they, they're willing to make the commitment and the sacrifice that his brother Geronimo Pratt did. And he said, even though he know, if he didn't have a dossier before, he got one now. Got one now, exactly. Right? I mean, so I'm saying the internal contest that we have to look at when we know that the political, these, um, you know, um, whether you have a quote-unquote black one, like Obama, or a white one like Biden, or uh, a congressman like that that person from South Carolina, can his name don't come to mind. Scott. Uh, no, well, I'm talking about the one that gave Biden the South Carolina vote. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I, you know what? 
Uh, I forgot his name. Go, okay. but go ahead. Yeah, you know, that, Clyburn. Clyburn, right? And 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 even the potential if Biden something happened to him today or tomorrow, uh, Kamala put it out there right bluntly. You know, shaking her uh, sister girl head. Well, you you're not expecting me to do something for black people only. <laughs> Right. I mean, so we 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 already know, but that's that's a given. The history is a given there. What I find us that the uncomfortable uh, conversation is that we have to be we're organizing against those amongst us because there are people who voted Clyburn in that black people. Who 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 voted Obama for Obama, uh, who fought for for Kamala or Kamala or whatever, how you say her name, who um, this this here uh, representative there from, um, was that, Oklahoma, who voted her in. These are the people we're competing against. And if we, you know, we could talk all we want about these others, but if we can't win against them, that's not a reflection of them. As you say, we're expected. It's a reflection on, what is what else do we have to do to be more organized, effective? And that's where I see that our uncomfortable conversation, our efforts, our communication, our organizing, our networking has to be uh, more clearly defined, or we will be kicking the can down to the next generation. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I'm gonna take a couple of these calls, and then we're gonna uh, wind up the program. So we'll. Uh... Maybe give him a few minutes of peace. Let's go to two back two one five two one five. Hey, brother Elliot, how you doing, Elliot? Good. Hi, brother Richard. Hey, Elliot, I was telling, listen, to Elliot and Richard, in the time for the wake of listen on this, I was uh, telling good brother Ralph. I called Ralph a few minutes ago, and I, I do apologize, Richard. I really had some questions and some comments for for brother Pernell. If I pronounce his name right, Pernell. Bazell. 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 B e z z. Okay. Oh, Bazell. Okay, thanks, Elliot. Yeah, I quit the comment. Well, what happened, Elliot, at the time, you know, when you came to me, I was in the process of helping my 89-year-old mother help out with her medication, and so I had to kind of, like, think on my fate. You know what I mean, Elliot? That's why I, that's why I went on to just compliment, complimented the brother for being on, which I do. I thank you and Richard for my heart. By the moment, I have to have the moment, but I, guess I definitely want to talk to the brother, but I got caught in the moment where I couldn't, you know, talk with him like I wanted to and, and assist my mom at the same time. It was no just a bad time with you know what I mean? But anyway, I've enjoyed Brother Bazaar. He was beautiful, man. Like and like and like our brother from Texas said, young brother is out there doing things, man. And uh, he's a beautiful brother, man. In love for our people, man. That brother, is, I guess I wish we could duplicate him all over America and stuff, man. And stuff because he's a he's a brother that that, that, that that's doing the right thing and stuff, man. You know, I had to almost to chuckle myself, Elliot, listening to you and Richard talk about our our favorite president. Uh, Holy Joe Biden. <laughs> That's my nickname from Holy Joe Biden. It's my right. I had to laugh when you said uh, when Biden said, "Well, the Klan, many of these elected officials was, you know, openly supporting the Klan and stuff." You said, "What a revelation!" Well, don't forget Joe himself. He was a senator. He was friends with two of the most, three of the most racist bigots, or four of them. You say that the, the, the numbers seem to add up, go up, up and up when you. This. Don't forget that Holy Joe Biden was friends of James Eastland, who was an openly segregationist bigot, Klan supporter, uh, Robert Byrd, uh, and, and, and the other, some other. Strom Thurmond. 
Thurman. Thurman, don't forget Strom, and don't forget the other one, uh, the one who who who. It was, it was, it was, it was Strom. There's one more too. I think think of his name, but don't forget he actually did the eulogy at Storm Thurman's funeral, and Storm Thurman always referred to Joe Biden as his son. Don't forget that, Ali. Remember. Yeah, I mean, so Carter, when Carter he, he going to get up in the speech talking about, oh, some of these politicians <laughs> openly support the Klan, and some of these black elected officials figure that's some type of accomplishment? Are you kidding <laughs> me? I mean, <laughs> maybe I'm stupid. I mean, wh- wh- what the hell is the matter? See, our people got to wake up, man. Our people got to wake up and stop voting for these clowns. I agree. Because like you said, it's so hypocritical of Biden to call these people out when you was friends of these same racist bigots. They was your buddies and stuff, man. But see, Ellie, again, Biden, like I said, is full of crap because I told you the other day, Ellie, I said, if Joe Biden could make all the speeches he want, but at the end of the day, no matter how you cut it, slice or dice it, if he can't push reparations forward for our people in Tulsa, and throughout America and stuff, it, it's a be especially for our people and stuff that survive the descendants of, of Greenwood, who, who family members had black benefits, who they was practicing the teachings of Marcus Messiah Garvey. They put into practice the teachings of Most Honorable Light Muhammad. They was truly, truly, truly doing for self. And white bigots, jealous of because black people was living the standard of living that they was jealous they could never dream of black people living and they came with this trumped up stuff that some old white woman for some old bogus charge and stuff about some white woman being assaulted and you know the story they you know dropping uh, uh turpentine bombs destroyed their whole area mur- murdered black people out black men went and mature mowed them down like they was dogs in the street uh did all kinds of stuff left their bodies out there burnt down black businesses thriving black businesses destroyed a whole black community so my point, like I said, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard, if Joe Biden can't get, find it in himself to push for reparation and make sure that those descendants get their get their, get their land back and, and get financial compensated, I don't want to hear all that stuff about some oh they was racist, uh, they just this and that was a shame, was a, a stain on American history. I don't want to hear all that nonsense. Dude, if you can't come over reparations, you just just another white politician, and in some cases, like you said, Elliot. You know, different than some of these black politicians. All you keep doing is making speeches. And, and, and the clip you played on Brother Al Hyde, Malik Shabazz, Brother Malcolm X, you, you put them first, we put them first, they put us last. And, 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 that, and that's the, I see the frustration in you and Richard's voice because when you sit there and see what Joe Biden just recently did, and black people have been long suffering in this country, still suffering, still getting shot down and murdered by the police. And unjustly incarcerated, but yet what do Joe Biden does, Elliot? In a matter of a pen, let's show you that the white man do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. In a matter of a stroke of a pen, he came with the anti-hate Asian bill, right, Elliot? Yeah, that's right. Now, now, why the hell he can't push that for, rep- for reparations? Right? Like, like the brother said on the speech you made, the window was closing and stuff. He could push that since they still got a little slum majority. If he really wanted to, he could push for reparations and for our people to get the land and all that stuff the descendants of Greenwood in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He could do it if he really wanted to do. Because, like I said, the, the damn excuse you see, I mean, you see a pattern developing here. And I'll close with this so Brother Jerry and anybody else can get on because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You see the BS that this this being for. You see the same thing with a bomb. That's why I get on. That's why black people to this day they get upset with me when I call them out on, on the rest of the radio. Fight, joke, uh, Obama loves to sit there and say, "Well, me and Joe wanted to do so much, but the Republicans kept blocking us and stuff. We wanted to do this." Well, dumbass, when you was in office for the first in the Senate in your hands, uh, uh, Mitch McConnell 
said that you were in office for no more than a, uh, a few weeks, and Mitch McConnell said, I'm going to do all you can. You're a one-term president. So, Obama, you already knew what you were dealing with. So when you had the Congress and the Senate, you could have pushed through all kinds of legislation that could have moved black people forward. You chose not to do so, and you said the same crap under Biden. So, so they lose the, the control of the House and the Senate in a couple of years. That's going to be the excuse. Well, I wanted to do it, but the Republicans blocking. You, you follow me, Elliot? Yeah, certainly. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's the BS that's going to come away. I mean, we I mean, we got to start calling Biden out. See, we have strong representatives in that, in that Senate and Congress. We got a few in there, but not enough to really, if we, if we, you know, we, we got the squad in there. That we got AOC and we got the uh, sister of Elaine uh, Omar and Rashida Tlaib and, and that Pressy they, and Corey Bush. And they, they call Biden out, but it's just not enough of them in there and stuff like that. You got all them handkerchief heads like the Dwight Evans of the world, the, 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 with, with, with the Val Dennys and all the all them, all them continue to do is kiss Biden's ass and stuff like that. You don't have enough of them that are going to call Biden out. And, that, and that's, where the, that's where the rub is at, uh, Brother Elliot Mitchell. You know what I mean? You don't have enough that are going to call this, this fraud out and hold, his, and hold his feet to the fire, unfortunately, you know. But anyway, I, I promise you, Mitchell, I wouldn't mop too much of your time. I'll thank you for, for getting get back with me, Brother Elliot, and I'll you know, meet me and I'll you know, listen to the rest of the show. Thanks for your contribution. You're welcome, sir. Let's go to 646. 646. Hey, what's happening, Brother Richard, Brother Elliot? Listen, listen. I mean, I don't understand what's wrong with our people, really, seriously. Why do black people think that they ever go get reparations in this country? And why would the white man ever give black people reparations in this country when he got these Negroes on remote control. I mean, I just don't understand it. Now, my solution would be, to be honest with you, based on the mental capacity and the behavior of the Negro, is I think to take um, Pat Buchanan's solutions and give you $20,000 and then tell you to kiss my ass and don't ask for nothing else because I ain't going to give you nothing else. And then it'll be over with. And at that point in time, once we see how all of the money that black people received just went back to the white man, then they'll finally may figure out their mental illness and get their act together. Now, that would be my my hope for our people. But anything other than that, I think it's nothing more than mental masturbation, to be honest with you, because White folks just play games with you. And like I say, and I'm going to say this for a while, there is no democracy in this country. Democracy has been destroyed, and you're just being manipulated and being used to make you see that there's democracy because white folks go do two things. They go protect white power and whiteness. And Joe Manchin is showing it to y'all every single day. And the narrative is not being answered in the manner in which if black folks really had some say-so and power that it should be answered. So let's just stop playing games because in another couple of months, they're just going to figure out a new way how to get y'all Negroes to try and vote for them. 
and they go get Negroes to come up with a new way to try and get you to vote for them. And the same vicious cycle is going to continue, and you're just going to, as the people, get weaker and weaker and weaker. And every other nationality in this country is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. You know why they're getting stronger? Because they have a homeland to identify with that there is for them to move forward as a people. We're the only ones who don't even realize as a people that we come from the greatest place on the planet and we don't really want to identify with it. We don't want to build it. We don't really want to associate with it. We don't want to see it as the stronghold that we need to change our condition. But we want to love, embrace, and be a part of this wicked, evil, devilish shithole. And you know something? I'm at the point, we get what we deserve. Because it ain't like we becoming more intelligent on a collective. I mean, some individuals are, but on the collective, it looks like we ain't never going to peep game. We ain't never going to wake up, and we damn sure ain't never going to see this white man for who and what he is. But every other group is looking at it. I mean, just think about this. You can't name me no other, other country that allow for us as Africans on the continent to happen to us what happens to us. You don't have no other country going into other sovereign nations and taking over shit, bastardizing their people, doing all of the things that are being done to African people and they people going along to get along with that foolishness. Nah, man, something wrong with us. And unfortunately, we don't want to be honest about it. We don't want to tell the truthful narrative about it. And we damn sure don't want to do nothing about it. Because anytime you could have Chinese go into a certain portion of the African continent and imprison, impregnate, and beat the people and treat them just like America treated the Native Americans, and you go along with it, you are sick, twisted, dumb people. And unfortunately, that's what we are. Because yeah, there ain't well, no way in hell. That's not true. That's not true. But listen, I'm not even going to go into it. Listen, when that, when that, young, when that young brother was, when that young brother was on here a little while ago, talking about the organization that they have accomplished with their club throughout Texas, and, and networking with other ones just doing the same thing. I went to you, and you didn't have no words of encouragement, nothing for him. It was another uh, a brother that was an elder from Tulsa that congratulated the young man. See, that, that that's what, the, you know, this narrative see, about our, see, wait a know, minute, just wait a minute. No, you're going to wait. This, this narrative it's about our right? people, this narrative about our people can't do stuff is, is so far from the truth, it's not even funny. It's the leadership okay, so can, that's can out here. It's the leadership that this man cultivates for you. 
It's the leadership that causes problems and gives people the impression that there's nothing being done. People don't want to go along with this. Can, can you answer the question? Can you answer this one question in regards to um, number one? Didn't you see that I had to hang up the phone? No. Didn't you? Didn't you? Oh yeah, you know I hung up the phone and I call and I call back. But let's get to the point of the narrative in Texas. Yes, the brother is doing good things in Texas. I'm very happy that he's doing good things in Texas. But what is the realization of Texas? Can, can, can we be honest about that? What is the realization of Texas? What is Texas doing in the legislation that's basically changing everything that the only reason that it slowed down was because the Democrats decided that they was going to walk out, but that the governor is coming back and bringing the, the um, legislators back in to vote in August. And once they vote and once he signs the law, all of the things that the good brother is doing ain't going to mean nothing. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's what you said. That's what you that's say. It's no, not going to mean anything. That's okay. the fact. All right. That's not, I'm not trying to say it to be disparaging. Oh, you ain't disparaging to them. Is, you ain't disparaging no, to them because they going to continue to do their work. There's no democracy, brother. Why are we trying to put forward a narrative that there's a democracy when they can make the type of laws that they're making in all of these states to take Who's away Who's putting your forth right a narrative that it's a democracy? Where do you get this from? Who's you, putting forth some know, narrative you know, that it's a democracy? Hold on, hold on, brother. You're telling me that there's, a, that there's not a narrative in this country that this is a democracy? I ain't democracy? talking about no in this country. What are you, are you no, serious? I'm, I'm not even going. Are you trying to say to me that this country isn't based on uh, democracy and that I don't give a damn what this country is based on. I don't care what this country is based on. It's based on evil. Who cares? We need to do what we need to do. I don't care what this country is based on. I don't care. Maybe you do. You get caught up in what they're doing with Democrats or Republicans. I don't give a damn. We need to organize. We need to organize. Isn't the narrative isn't the narrative, and tell me if I'm wrong, isn't the narrative if you are not a Democrat or a Republican? I don't care. I did not just tell you I don't care about no Democrat and Republican. All right, brother. Yeah, I, you know, see, see, this is this is the sad thing about it is the brother in Texas is doing good work, and it's going to move forward. But the truth of it is that all that he's doing is for what not because even with what he's doing, he don't have no power to stop nothing. Yeah, well, why don't you join it? He don't it? have no power to change you, the laws you could probably start a, You could start an Elmer Pratt. You could start an Elmer Pratt branch up there in New York. There's plenty of people up there. There's more people in New York than any other city in this country. Why don't you start a branch up there? No, no, no. Why don't you answer my question? Why don't you start a branch up there? Why would I waste my time? When I'm trying to keep people from being out in the Oh, now here we go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, don't worry about it. Trying to you ought to be able to walk and chew gum straight. If you can't, then you nah, got a problem. I can't. Nah, because there's too many people that's about to suffer in the okay. next couple of yeah, months. And I know you're concerned. I would never give a damn yeah. about a so-called democracy. When I know Who a cares democracy about a democracy? You keep on. Come on. Good night, brother. Sure Say good night. Street, brother. Say good night. Hey. Have a good night. All right. And there is 
no democracy, my good brother. Yeah, well, who cares? Peace. Richard. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know you care about this democracy, Richard. Uh-huh. So I know your feelings was hurt when he said there is no democracy. I, I, you know, as a person that stay on the black side of the chessboard, I know it was no democracy with me included. <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. What the hell? What is it? Okay. Maybe I'm in an altered state or the twilight zone or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving the people the impression I'm saying one thing and I'm saying another. That's why I was saying, you know, the brother Bazell, Bazell, that, you know, we have to be clear, even when the Second Amendment was written, uh, it, it was written and black folks wasn't uh, considered to have a gun uh, for a long time. So that's 1791. And, and they were debating in, in 1862, 63, should they get black? I mean, it was it's an on and off thing, you know. So even though that laws in place for us now that's and if you think you white and you're looking at it from white you have white privilege even though you you know you know you may not be black i mean you may be black then you may be looking at it as uh bob away nobles nobles used the the metaphor you may be a sheep dog that think you a sheep well well I- I guess, I guess we'll leave it there for this evening. Before before we go, let me uh, <clears throat> let you know about the lineup on time for Awakening Media. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, <clears throat> African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. That's 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Always interesting dialogue and topics on African Perspectives. That's Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on, Monday evenings, Acres of Diamonds with Brother Jahad Ahmed from 6 to 8 uh, Monday evening from 8 to 9, Monday evening, Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Mawir Kamban and, and Dr. Kamal Kamban. Uh, 9 to 10, uh, Monday evening's conversation reparations, the first and third Monday of the month. On Tuesday, 8 to 10 p.m., Black Reality Think Tank with Dr. William Rogers. On Wednesday, it's our time, the Black Farmers Program with the West Georgia Cooperative. That's from uh, 8 to nine on Wednesday evening. Uh, on Friday, time for an awakening is back from eight until Saturday from six to eight. Black Sister Talk with host Lawanda Chambers, and then from oh excuse me, that's four to six Saturday afternoon. Black Sister Talk with host Lawanda Chambers, and then later on Saturday evening from seven to nine, the elders of Sankofa with Brother Alfonso Watkins, and then time for an awakening is back on Sunday from seven until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Interesting conversation and dialogue, as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace.
Save the children. To save the children. 